Welcome to episode 124 of District of Conservation. This is your host, Gabriella Hoffman. In this installment of the podcast, I'm going to bring you guys some latest breaking news related to conservation and energy from in and around the nation's capital. Here we go. Probably the most exciting and positive development to come from the nation's capital this week is the news relating to the selection of Congressman Bruce Westerman of Arkansas as the ranking member of the House Natural Resources Committee for the Republicans. And because Republicans are out of power in the House of Representatives, albeit by a really slim margin going into the 117th Congress, they are in the minority, meaning that Westerman is ranking member of the committee and not chairman. Although if Republicans were to take the House, which is heavily predicted going into 2022, he will likely become the next chairman of the House Natural Resources Committee. And Westerman, as you may very well know, was a past guest here on the podcast. He confessed that he listens to the podcast, which is really cool. So we're kind of in the ear of a lot of the newsmakers in and around the nation's capital. So if you want to go back and listen to our interview and correspondence and why this was kind of likely predictable, go back a couple episodes. I'll include it in the show notes. You guys get to know him a little bit. But personally, I think this is a really good selection on the part of the Republicans in the House Natural Resources Committee. He is the lone registered certified forester, someone who has acumen about forest management. And I am very fearful over the fact that forest management is going to be sidelined because of the climate emphasis that is going to be expected under this incoming Biden administration. And that really worries me. So I sadly anticipate forest management taking a backseat because many federal Democrats have indicated, except for some of the bills that have been coming through Congress, but there has been no indication by Biden or some of his incoming staffers that they will prioritize forestry management, maybe with that bill that Westerman is doing, but I haven't seen that. So that's, I think, symbolic in that we have someone who can impact the debate over forest management. But also Congressman Westerman is a sportsman. He's a hunter and angler. He understands the lifestyle. He can communicate across different lines. He can appeal to people. He'll be succeeding outgoing ranking committee member and previous chairman Rob Bishop of Utah, who is retiring. And here is what Congressman Westerman said in response to his selection. And this is a statement from Twitter. Quote, I'm incredibly honored and humbled that the steering committee has recommended to be the next lead Republican on the House Natural Resources Committee. All my life, I've been passionate about natural resources, from learning to hunt and fish as a child to using my engineering skills to design natural resources manufacturing facilities to serving as the only licensed forester in Congress to working on the Natural Resources Committee my whole tenure. I believe my life experience has uniquely equipped me for the role of ranking member. Conservatives have a rich history of leading in conservation, and this committee will continue to be a battleground for energy and environmental issues. I believe we can lead the way on showing the world how market-based conservation allows our economy and environment to thrive simultaneously. I can't wait to get started, said Congressman Bruce Westerman of Arkansas. That is really exciting news. I think, like I said, couldn't have been a better selection, especially to steer Republicans in the true conservation pro-stewardship mold and trying to get government out of the way 
when it's not needed and allowing the marketplace to innovate. So this will be really exciting. And we're going to hopefully bring him back on the podcast to get up to speed on what his agenda looks like, how he'll lead the committee in that direction, what new membership looks like because the house is changing quite a bit. There'll be quite a few new members added. I'm really curious to see which members will be added there, but you should get excited about uh, Bruce Westerman heading up the Republican side of the House Natural Resources Committee. I think it's going to be a counterbalance to Raul Grijalva's chairmanship because he has been trying to steer committee to a very preservationist direction. Grijalva, as I've noted, is not a friend to sportsmen. You can find that in his endorsements, his political backing, and many more. So it's going to be a nice counterbalance, I think, to Grijalva's chairmanship that is this more preservationist kind of climate-oriented committee. So much to be excited about. This is an energy-related issue, but kind of sticking to the thing that we're going to see a lot more climate injected into conservation issues, and I think they should be treated separately. It's not a lack of seriousness or concern on my end about climate issues, but I really don't like seeing climate issues and conservation being lumped in together. I think they're separate entities and should be treated as such, and you can care about the climate, We've been reducing our emissions really well, especially under this administration, which they don't get credit for. But this emphasis on climate over everything else is likely going to come back to haunt Democrats, I think, going forward. And certainly Republicans can opine on these climate issues, but as it relates to the Paris Climate Accords, going into this new administration, about 40-some-odd corporate conglomerates have called on Biden and Congress to address climate change. And this is in a letter addressed to President-elect Biden and the new Congress. Let me read for you guys what this statement says. They co-wrote this letter through the help of the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions. Calling climate action a business imperative, the companies pointed to the grave risks presented by climate change and to the economic benefits of tackling it from new jobs and growth to strengthened U.S. competitiveness. The companies include top names in the power, automotive, tech, finance, manufacturing, chemicals, oil and gas, cement, mining, food and retail sectors. And I'll read for you guys what this letter says. In support of ambitious, durable, bipartisan climate solutions. As major companies across diverse sectors of the U.S. economy, we are committed to meeting the profound challenge of climate change. We support the United States' return to the Paris Agreement and urge President-elect Biden and the new Congress to work together to enact ambitious, durable, bipartisan climate solutions. Our communities and our economy are enduring not only a devastating pandemic, but also the rising costs of climate change, record wildfire Record wildfires, flooding, hurricanes, and other extreme weather are appending lives and livelihoods. And science makes clear that future generations will face far greater environmental, economic, and health impacts unless we act now. In many cases, the steps we must take to reduce the grave risks have the added benefit of generating substantial economic activity. Leveraging American investment and innovation toward the technologies of tomorrow will create jobs, drive growth, and strengthen U.S. competitiveness. Near-term climate actions can contribute significantly to our economic recovery. Recognizing these risks and opportunities, seeing the broad public support for clean energy and climate protection, and hearing the concerns of our investors, customers, communities, and employees, our companies view climate action as a business imperative. We are taking major steps to reduce our climate impact. We have publicly declared ambitious goals and are investing in clean technologies and other climate solutions, but successfully meeting this global challenge requires strong, sustained leadership from Washington. 
to achieve a net zero economy. Uh oh. Let me intervene here. That's not really soluble and sustainable. And I'll explain more in future episodes. The United States must establish durable national policies that harness market forces, mobilize investment and innovation, and provide the certainty needed to plan for the long term. It is also vital that our climate policies meet the needs of marginalized communities, low-income households, and workers in communities disadvantaged by the energy transition. If the people are going to be disadvantaged by the energy transition, why are you guys pushing it? That's something to ponder, too. The United States has made important strides. Emissions are down and clean energy is up. With the election of a new president and Congress, we now have a critical opportunity to significantly strengthen these efforts. We stand ready to work with stakeholders on all sides and with our elected leaders to seize this moment and achieve ambitious, durable climate solutions. And here are some listed names. Amazon, Bank of America, Basf Corporation, BHP, BP, Cargill, Carrier Corporation, the Chimors Company, City. Don't in North America, Dominion Energy. Ah, if you're a Virginian, that's a name that is very familiar to you. Dow Inc., DSM, DTE Energy, DuPont, Edison International, Entergy Corporation, Exelon, Marylanders. You guys are familiar with that. Ford Motor Company, General Motors, Goldman Sachs, Google, HP Inc., IBM, Intel Corporation, Johnson Controls, JP Morgan Chase, Lafarge Wholesome. Microsoft Corporation, Morgan Stanley, National Grid, Nestle, NRG, Energy Inc., Orchard Offshore, North America, PG&E Corporation, PSGE, PSEG, Schneider Electric, Shell Total, Train Technologies, PLC, Unilever, United States, and Walmart. Now, that sounds really benign and virtuous, but if you guys don't already know, the reason why this country was pulled out of the climate accords was because many of the countries that were signed on to it were not fulfilling their commitments. And here's what the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette said about this. The 2016 Paris Agreement represented the first collective effort by all countries to address climate change. It's become clear, however, that only a fraction of the 197 signatories are actually living up to it. The agreement's ambitious goals to keep global warming below 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit by reducing greenhouse gas emissions globally by 50% by 2030 are not legally binding or enforceable. There are no penalties in place for countries that fail to comply with the plans they submitted. Ultimately, the agreement turned out to be an exercise in public relations. And I'm skipping a little paragraph. The agreement will only provide a fractional decrease in temperature by the end of the century, and it'll cost a fortune. Estimates are anywhere between $1 trillion to $2 trillion per year. The international process in dealing with climate change does not have a promising track record. The Kyoto Protocol, which was a legally binding international agreement to reduce carbon emissions, saw a number of signatories, including Canada, including Canada Japan, and Russia, withdraw with no penalties because they had no chance of meeting their targets. Kyoto did nothing to reduce global emissions, and the U.S. drew entirely in, 20, in 2001. There was much consternation about the, Trump's about the Trump administration's decision. There was much consternation about the Trump administration's decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement. However, a year after pulling out, the U.S. led the world in reducing carbon emissions. Imagine that. You don't need to be part of this global pact to care about the environment. Not rocket science. And it proceeded, thanks to the shale boom, the United States now leads the world in both oil and gas production while also doing more to reduce its energy-based carbon emissions than any other country. This is in large part because coal consumption has been declining in the U.S. since its peak in 2007. The U.S. must continue to 
do more to reduce emissions in the next decade, but it doesn't need the Paris Agreement to do it. We formally got out of the Paris Accords. It was signaled our de- our departure came on June 1st, and we formally exited on election day of this year. And like as mentioned, only 16 countries of those who belong to the Paris Climate Accord have met their obligations. So I think it's virtue signaling from these companies like, hey, if they want to privately do this and encourage it, great. But why do they beckon the call of the incoming administration and Congress to do so? We're already reducing our footprint. You can still have traditional fuel sources all the while uh, caring about the climate. So this is mostly virtue signaling. There's no measurable impact of climate change mitigation or emissions reductions with participation in this. So the Trump administration was right to pull out. And I anticipate Biden putting us back into this. But like I said, it's mostly virtue signaling and we're really not going to be seeing cooperation from other countries. We're going to be footing the bill for a lot of the Paris Climate Accords. And it's just like uh, this Pittsburgh Gazette article said, it's it's more so of a nod to PR relations, public relations, rather than actually having measurable impacts on the environment. Talked to you guys last week about that very strange monolith in Utah. Well, there is a development on that and people have claimed credit And according to Desiree, which is a publication out of Utah, one theory suggests the monolith is actually a piece of wider art connected to science fiction. There's speculation that John McCracken, a minimalist sculpture and science fiction fan who died in 2011, might be to blame for what's going on, according to the New York Times. And they speculate further that this is his work. And some bunch of artists claim credit for installing it. So now we know as to why it is there. Although Desiree continues, it's unclear what the Utah monolith really means. Maybe it was an art project. Maybe it was a symbol to teach us about the environment, or maybe it was a plea for attention. Regardless, the monolith showed us how America continues to be addicted to conspiracy theories. Oh gosh. And it's par for the course for 2020 to have these unexplained phenomena randomly appear and confound us and bewilder us all at the same time. A few housekeeping notes before I direct you guys to connect with us and listen to us. Two things. Tomorrow, if I am not mistaken, you can hear me on the Your Mountain podcast with the three hosts there, Nephi, Mike, and David. And I hunted with them in Wyoming And we talked a great deal about different topics, about the hunt, about interesting stories, and much more. And if you listened all this way to the end of the podcast, you guys are in for a treat. I'm going to divulge on who a special guest for the podcast will be tomorrow evening. I will have the pleasure of sitting down with Congresswoman-elect Kat Kamek, who is going to be representing Florida's third congressional district. And I first heard about her from some Florida friends, friend of the show, Travis Thompson, and a few others down there who work on water quality issues. And they were like, Gabriella, you should keep an eye on her. I finally connected with her staff. And we're going to talk about a multitude of subjects about this nexus between agriculture and the environment, how the two can cooperate why she hopes to lead on these issues, how conservatives can be leaders on these issues, and much more. So if you listen to the podcast long enough, those are two interesting housekeeping notes you guys ought to be aware of. 
If you like the show and been listening, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement. And remember to leave those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already, I encourage you to do so. It can help us signal that we're going in the right direction, that more people are listening. We've had a lot of reviews in the last few months, but I encourage you to continue to leave them if you feel inclined. And if you ever have a tip or a guest announcement or some suggestion for the show, let me know. We're going to be having a lot of people hopefully coming through the pipeline very soon. Hopefully some exit interviews with some of the administration officials. I'm currently talking with a few of their staff to see if we can line up some secretaries and administrators to come on and chat with me before their tenure is done. And we'll be having more lawmakers and politicians come through as well especially going into the new year. It's going to be a very exciting, interesting time in Washington. So we're going to keep you all abreast with what is happening, how Republicans are responding to the Biden administration on these issues and so much more. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for my exclusive interview with Kat Kamek coming out tomorrow. And make sure you follow and subscribe to the Your Mountain podcast, which I will link for you guys in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys tomorrow.